reaching a point in a relationship when we recognize that another person has been chipping away at our soul for a very long time and we simply can't live with the toxicity anymore can bring about complicated grief, reveal layers of trauma and pose immediate safety concerns. Today, my courageous guest, Ella Cotterell, shares her story of going no contact with her narcissistic abusive father. After a full year of grieving and reclaiming who she is now, without having to survive the cycles of abuse she'd become accustomed to in her relationship with her dad. Today's episode is powerful and so important. I do, however, encourage you to take care of yourself if this discussion cuts a bit close to home. So please remember that you can pause and come back to it at any time or simply skip this one out. My guest today, Ella, is a feminine embodiment practitioner, a somatic trauma educator. She has her first class honours degree in psychology and is a qualified rehab counsellor, a passionate writer and women's guide. But beyond the qualifications and labels, she is a woman who is deeply passionate about a feminine and feminist revolution. Ella's work focuses on women finding safety, sovereignty and liberation by discovering the innate intelligence in their body. I hope you receive what you need from our rich conversation today. Welcome to the Sensualchemy School podcast, where we explore grief, pleasure, and the sometimes messy, always beautiful paradox that exists between the two. Here, as we center the experience of our wise bodies through the archetypal feminine, we ask, within a culture that perceives emotional, intuitive, and creative intelligence as inferior and avoids pain at all costs, what if grief were our compass and pleasure our medicine? My name is Kate Leeper, and I'm so grateful you're here. Welcome to another episode of the Sensualchemy School podcast with me, Kate Leeper, a husky-throated Kate Leeper again, which, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm going to hang on to my voice today because I've been so looking forward to what I know is going to be a pretty edgy deep, dark, delicious conversation with the beautiful Ella Cotterell. Thank you so much, Ella, for joining me in this space today. Oh, you're so welcome. It's a joy to be here. I'm really, really excited. Yeah, me too. And I did, we were just talking before I hit record about um, timing and the perfection of timing sometimes. And I, uh, I had to reschedule because I have been quite sick and it's been a few weeks, really. Mm-hmm. And now here we are. And although I still can't really, uh, I'm losing my voice a lot, I'm feeling pretty good. But it's almost like the past three weeks have birthed both of us anew in these interesting ways. And and how you can come together at a different time and have such a completely different conversation. So I'm just, I, I just feel like, yep, today's the day and I'm so Mm -hmm. looking forward to it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I totally agree. Timing is such a beautiful thing when you allow yourself to just flow with it. So here Mm. we are. Yeah, Mm. it really is. It really is. So Ella, as we learn together today, let's just take a breath and kind of feel our bodies. And I would love 
to really hear from you as you check in. What loss is feeling really present for you in this moment? Mm. Yeah, as you ask that question, I can feel my whole like stomach kind of drop and and my arms kind of feel a bit jelly-like and it's really palpable. Um, And I've been talking about this sparingly on my Instagram and um, about a year ago to the date, I had to um, walk away from my narcissistic dad and go no contact. And that journey has been such a tumultuous affair of grieving and reclaiming and empowerment and then grieving again. And um, that loss is really on my heart and really present because it's, you know, that kind of year point where you think, oh, wow, you know, like I made it one year and there's this celebratory, like, I didn't think I could even do that. Wow. And then there's like, oh, one year of no no contact with my father. And so that loss is really present. And as I was kind of talking to you before, I feel like I've just come out of the second grief portal again. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, today I finally had the energy to clean my room. You know, I had this big depression room kind of situation <laughs> going on where there's cups and food and you know, laundry's everywhere. And I kind of felt like, oh, I've got, like, I can stand a little bit taller today and I can kind of feel the beauty of life entering my body again. And so that's really where I'm at in this sense of loss right now. Wow. Well, that's big. That is huge. Mm -hmm. Receiving you in, yeah, the bigness in that. And I I think a year is there's there's something incredibly confronting, as mm-hmm. you say, about that three hundred and sixty five day milestone. And I don't know about you, but you've just really reminded me of how much the body remembers, even if you were to have kind of pushed this date to the side. It's like mm-hmm. the body so often in these, for want of a better word, anniversaries, um, that aren't celebratory necessarily, the body will very clearly say, hey, this is happening. Yeah. 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 It was so interesting because I felt like even on a conscious level, I wasn't necessarily feeling a lot of grief. I was just kind of like, oh yeah, that's coming up, you know, looking at the calendar. And I wasn't even in my mind. And I had the worst day, one of these days. And I was just so heavy and everything was hurting. And I looked at my calendar and then I looked at the last message that I sent to my dad and it was the same day. Wow. And I had chills and I just thought, yeah, Yeah. here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Indeed. Mm. Thank you, my love. And I'm curious if amongst that sense of loss and the bigness of that, is there any longing that is kind of wanting to make itself known in your body right now? Mm, I love that question. It's so juicy and beautiful. (laughs) Uh, I think the longing that has been emerging for a year has been the longing of who am I in this authentic boundary, 
worthy place, this longing to stand on my own two feet. Mm-hmm. And not that I don't want to consider other people's feelings or emotions, but that I'm considering them less in a healthy way. Right. You know, part of that narcissistic parent child dynamic is that you forget about self, you forget about you and your needs and your boundaries because you're always caring about the other and the parent. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm really stepping into this really powerful forgive me for swearing, but like, I don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. You are forgiven. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like this space of just, yes, I can't wait. And I actually want to do this and no, I don't want to do that anymore. And it's this really beautiful reclamation of my authentic spirit. Wow. Yeah. Mm. I mean, there's so many incredible things that you've just shared then that I would love to just dive into in today's conversation because I'm just hearing and it's it's constantly reinforced in my own life how it's like two different sides of the same coin. Yeah, mm. this this grief and love, this loss and longing and I feel like the more that we can really detect that in our own life and be open to those possibilities. Mm. There's something really nurturing and nourishing about that awareness and about, you know, being able to notice and fully welcome the other side of the grief Mm. coin, the trauma coin, the, you know, the devastation and really feel into what is now available to me. What is like, what do I actually have space for and agency over now? So yeah, tell me more. Mm. What, What is that, I guess, making that decision to close that relationship? with your father, I have no doubt that was an incredibly challenging kind Mm. of final moment. I imagine, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but what was that like? And what has really surprised you since? Mm, Yeah, let's get into it. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I've had a lot of messages from from other people on Instagram saying I really resonate with this and I have a narcissistic parent. And I think I do want to shed light on this and, and how it felt to arrive at that point. And I think that a lot of the times people think that that decision is easy. And, you know, there's this kind of idea that, you know, millennials and Jed Zeds like cutting off their parents are just selfish and they don't understand what's gone into raising their child. And, realistically, there's so much that comes before that point when you have to say, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And my life since my parents split up, you know, of 12 years of old, 12 years of age was very much looping in these abusive cycles of verbal violence and aggression. And there came a point last year where another kind of incident happened. And, you know, my dad was kind of unleashing this narcissistic rage, which is a term I hadn't even known about until I started really looking into that. And I had this light bulb moment of clarity, which just kind of flicked on of, oh yeah, I'm actually not available for this anymore. Hmm. 
And it was a really beautiful, if I can feel it like in my chest, you know, it was this little light that I felt go off because before that point I had been in therapy. I had been setting boundaries. I had been writing letters. I had been approaching it in this way and that way and all of the things. Mm -hmm. And so I got to a point where I was like, oh, it's really not about me. Right. And I think that was really critical for me to have to go through all of those journeys of trying to get my dad to meet me on the same page, trying to have those conversations and not not being able to make it work. And so I just felt this like, oh, no more. Mm-hmm. And I think that sounds really beautiful, but I think that's where the grief really started. Right. Because that was the acceptance that this man, this person is never going to be the person that my inner child is longing that he will be. Mm-hmm. And so it was that reconciling of like, there's really no more hope here. And there is hope in a new way for me to establish boundaries and a family that feels peaceful and loving. Mm-hmm. And that was really like, oh, I just think back to this time last year and it was so, I've never known grief like that, actually, the kind of grief where you can't get out of bed, you can't go to work, you can't talk to people. And you see, you know, even as I'm talking about it now, like I'm feeling the rush of those emotions come through and you see the world and you see people living in the world and you say, how are you doing this when my world is just shattered? Right. Yeah. How, yeah, how do you do that? And it, it was so earthquaking. It was really this, um, yeah, it was a portal, I mm-hmm. think. It felt like a really huge portal. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you shared that there was almost like this flash of knowing that I'm no longer available for this Mm -hmm. and it's not about me. And I just, oh, that lands so much with me because so often in relationships like this, toxic relationships or, or or these narcissistic, codependent, enmeshed relationships that are built on these cycles and patterns mm. and are fed by two people. I mean, it's often one person's kind of uh, abuse or, mm. or cruelty, but it's the second person is hooked in. And I think so often as a victim or a survivor, of that abuse, like, because the last thing on earth that really the victim or survivor wants to do is actually terminate that relationship and walk away. They want it to be better. They want it to be fixed. They want it to be healthy. Like there's this deep, deep longing. Then there's this impetus to, well, okay, I'll go and surely if I fix myself or I learn more about it, I understand it, I have all of the empathy and compassion for this person and I really, you know, I show up mm. for them and I'm just hearing that there came a time where the penny dropped for you that mm. 
you had just given it your all. Yeah. And I think the thing with narcissistic dynamics as well is that you lead this life where you have been gaslit Mm -hmm. so many times into not believing your own mind. Exactly. And, you know, at the end of it, you kind of feel like it's mush because you're bringing things up and they're saying, well, you just feel like this way because of X, Y, and Z. And that actually didn't happen. And Blah, 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 blah. And it it can it muddies the water so deeply where you don't feel like you even have two legs to stand on. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the insidious nature of it, you know, afterwards and that recovery phase of feeling like I was still self-gaslighting myself. Like you're making this up. What are you doing? Like, right. how could you walk away from this? And, you know, thank God for therapy and having someone to really hold those mirrors up and say, no, this is this is domestic abuse and this is mm-hmm. violence. And so often we think physical violence is so much worse. And that's not to say that it isn't awful. Of course mm-hmm. it's awful. But we underestimate the toxicity and the harm of emotional violence. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that relational piece was really hard to even just get to that point of... Yeah actually, it's not me because your whole life you're told, well, it is you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so to anyone going through this right now, anyone that can relate to it, you know, I really feel the challenge that you're in, in backing yourself and how hard it is to get to a point where you actually say, no, it's not me. It yeah. is you. Yeah. Because your brain just kind of feels like scrambled eggs. It's the only thing that I can kind of- yep. Yeah. Resonate with. Yeah. Where you just feel like what is happening and what is real and what's not real. And so, yeah, anchoring into that power of actually, I trust myself and I back myself. It's okay if it starts as a seed because Mm -hmm. that seed starts to blossom and grow. And you feel like you can trust that seed so much more when you take those steps towards recovering again. Yeah. I love that, Ella, and and I think it's so important to distill it to that, you know, that idea of the seed, the beginning, the that these kinds of relational uh, traumas and experiences are often they take a lifetime or an incredibly long time to cement and mm. then you know, they're going to take quite some time to untangle from as well. And and I would love to hear a little bit about, I guess, particularly through this year of grieving and finding yourself kind of being immersed in the grief portal and then coming back out and feeling that reclamation and that power and that deeper sense of self. How have you really cared for yourself deeply mm. in this time? And maybe what, you know, uh, what is still feeling new for you that you are really exploring and and meeting with and, yeah, what's it, what's it been like to put you first? Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. Um, I think in that initial phase the care was letting myself fall apart and letting myself succumb to the grief because I think so often when we feel these really deep, you know, 
transformative, really enormous sensations. There can be either this sense of like run or fix. And I just kind of allowed myself to succumb to it. There was no beautiful practices or anything that I did. It was really just like, hey, like we got to be in this for a little bit. And just holding myself and tending to myself and calling on my relationships and just letting people know, hey, this is where I'm at. I think there's such a profound sense of care and connection that we found that we find in our relationships. And to me, that was what that was what held me together. You know, for those first three to six months. Because so often we feel like there's this gap when you lose a parent, either because you've gone no contact or because they've passed away. It feels like a hole Mm -hmm. and it feels like nothing can fill that hole. And that's not, that's not the case necessarily, you know, like no one will ever be that person. No one will ever take that person's space, but there are so many maternal, paternal figures and also friendships and relationships that can come into your life and hold you in a different way. And since then, I've reconnected with my uncle, you know, and we've been able to talk and I've met his kids and that just would not have happened if I didn't go no contact with my Mm -hmm. father. And so there's like these little doorways of opportunity where, yes, the grief is very much alive and, yes, I feel like a part of me has been ripped into and there are these little doorways of light that I now have the opportunity to feel into and explore. And so the care for me was really relationally. And it was also being in nature Mm. and having my feet in the sand, being with the ocean. It was very simple. I couldn't muster up any energy to do a practice or Mm to be in my body at all. You know, I was already in the depths of the grief. I did not want to go to my practices. I think actually we had that um, School of Embodied Arts um, two-day thing. um, the immersion. Yeah, Yeah. the immersion. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the first time I had been in my body really like since the grief. Intentionally, you mean? Yes, yes, intentionally like having those practices. And Mm -hmm. I just was like really avoiding it. I did not want to do it. And as soon as I met with my body, it was like, oh, home. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Mm. That's amazing. And it's, you know, I say intentionally because of course, like, yeah, grief can really shut down your executive functioning and you actually are in your body mm-hmm. <laughs> in a very painful way. Exactly. If you choose to be with it, of course, mm-hmm. or, you know, because it's, it, it <clears throat> certainly um, isn't, I guess, encouraged um, societally to just take the time to really mm-hmm. be with grief. But if you succumb to it, it is everywhere. It is in every cell. It is in every breath. And like you say, it just sounds to, like to be able to just have that relationship with your grief that you knew, okay, I've just got to be here. I've just mm. got to meet with you and 
be in nature and and be with other people who make me feel safe and strong and and joyful. I mean, what an incredible story of, I mean, not, it's not even like resilience. It's just, it is, it's, it's devotion. Mm. That's what I hear. And it's so rare uh, to hear those stories. And, and of course, you know, it's not um, as available maybe for some people, if you have like young babies and, and um, things like that. I mean, I can, I can say that my God, there's been moments in my life where I absolutely, I had these little people and I just couldn't stop mm. for for long at all. But then there was something in that too. There was something in just the holding of new life and nurturing new life that was also mm. replenishing and restorative. So I think wherever, wherever we're at in our life, we can meet grief. We can show up for it. And then we can also be sourced by, like you say, those beautiful little slivers of light if we choose. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's big work. Yeah, it's huge work. And I think as well, it's interesting to me that that no contact came after, you know, this certification in embodiment that I had done and all this work that I had done because I would never have been able to succumb to the grief in the way that I did last year, if it would have happened three years earlier, Uh there's no way I wasn't resourced enough. I didn't understand my body enough. I was so terrified by feelings that felt consuming like grief does. Mm -hmm. And so to have the awareness that grief is a season and I can survive the season and also that I can hold it and I can hold the enormity of it and I can be with it and allow myself that. And as you said, you know, with that also does come this strange privilege of being able to say, you know what, all I can do right now is just be with that. You know, Mm. we live in this world that doesn't really allow us to meet those tender parts of ourselves. And so this embodiment work, this rich language that I've developed with my body Mm -hmm. really allowed me to feel the grief, the enormity of that, and also know that I would be okay on the other side of it. Mm. Yeah, and thank you so much for actually kind of going there too because it's where where our culture and our society doesn't allow. I also feel like they have stripped, or our, our, they, <laughs> our culture <laughs> has stripped us of any kind of skills that maybe were like inherited or or ancestrally were just part and parcel of daily life. But now with the pace and the intensity and the emphasis on productivity and, and all of the things, we have been stripped of the skills which I believe are, I mean, they're, and I, I speak, I speak to this a little bit, but they're they are innate qualities. I mean, grief is primordial, right? It is, um, it's not something that uh, picks and chooses, like it's just part of our humanness. But essentially what we do in embodiment and, and through reconnection to the feminine is reskilling, is kind of like inviting the um, capacity and the ability 
to be curious, to kind of develop a relationship to our bodies in which we can begin to hold, as you say, and to move through and to discern what is what and the language. And I just feel like, you know, that it is a it's it's an unlearning of what's been piled on top. Uh, which is just kind of like hustle through, push on, all of those kind of things, and then a relearning of our body's natural um, way of being. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it is a skill, right? And I don't want people to listen to this and think, well, I couldn't do that or I don't know Mm -hmm. how. And I have, even with my clients, sometimes they're like, oh, I don't know how to get there just yet. And it's, it is such a journey, you know, and exactly we're not taught it and we should be taught how to be with our body and how to regulate our emotions and how to be in the fullness of our full spectrum experience. Um, But those skills, you know, we can cultivate it. And that is really, I really attribute my survival of that grief Mm -hmm. to the embodiment work that I have done and to learning my body and understanding the depth of, you know, what she can feel and experience. And There was also, you know, through that initiation of grief, there was also a lot of, I think pride would maybe be a good word to say here of um, look at me and look at what I can do and look at what I can anchor myself through. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that codependent language kind of comes back in there around like understanding again, that narcissistic parent dynamic of being a child and not understanding how to regulate my emotions because my parent really didn't know how to regulate his emotions. And so being able to sit with yourself and move yourself through your own experience as someone who's anxious or codependent is very powerful Mm -hmm. to get to a point where you say, actually, I feel secure in being with myself Mm -hmm. here. Whereas previously it was like, oh, I need a lover or a friend or someone that I can sit with and move through these experiences with, because I can't possibly be alone. Mm-hmm. And so was there was that second wave of reclamation there as well. So that pride kind of comes in. And I think really with grief is there's so many invitations and especially exactly, you know, where I am again, it's, it's an invitation into what else is here? What else can I explore? What's not working? How can I restructure my life? Mm-hmm. And how can I, I, you know, you've said this, like grief is a messenger, what message does it have for me? How can I listen to it? And so that's been really interesting to explore this time around as well. Mm. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And and really what you're speaking to is this idea that um, as our relationship to grief evolves, shifts and changes, it really does illuminate different areas of our life, ways of being, desires, you know, things that we aren't uh, available for in other aspects of our lives. And, you know, I I teach around um, not, uh, look, and I don't want to completely disregard the the stages of grief, the phases, uh, the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross kind of model. I know there's been lots of controversy around that. And I think that there's value in that to some degree. But when I come to grief work, through the body and through this somatic understanding, I'm really fascinated about how we experience grief in proximity, you know? So it's like a relational um, model to what I 
I refer to as like the realms of grief. Like where are we in relationship to the storm of grief? Is it right here? Is it all consuming? And that might be again a year later. It doesn't actually have anything to do with chronological time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we cycle through, we hit anniversaries, we smell uh, a fragrance, whatever it is that actually brings us into the relationship to what we have lost will have a different impact on our somatic experience. And so I guess I'm just, yeah, really, that's what I'm hearing from you, Ella, as you've kind of come through this portal is that all of a sudden the grief is existing differently inside of you and outside of you. And it's kind of showing up and and showing you different things, um, and yeah, it's it's a wise teacher. My God, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And I think having that uh, ability to listen to it is really yeah. When you, that's the juiciness of it, right? When you really allow yourself to kind of be with it and simmer into it, what is this teaching me, and how can I move forward? And that's something that's been part of my journey, you know, like I feel this grief, but does that grief mean that I have to go back to what hurt me? Mm-hmm. And I think realistically, you know, I used to think I'm grieving this person, which means that I miss them and then I should open this relationship back up again. But actually the grief is saying, hey, you know, you're grieving what was this hope of a father figure that could have supported you and loved you and given you all that you wanted. And it's okay that he's never going to be that person. And so it's really nice to get to that point of <laughs> acceptance, which I think is that uh, tricky stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, I get it. It, it makes sense. And I think we can, mm. again, actually move closer and further away from acceptance, even if we might come into a space of acceptance, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that that's it. No. (laughs) Right? No. (laughs) Because life doesn't work that way. So you might as easily then move into a state of, fuck, no, I don't accept a new layer or Mm -hmm. or whatever else has emerged, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It does feel like layered work. And I think as time goes on, there's like new areas of anger and new areas of, oh, I see this in a different way. And how dare you? And, oh, now I'm grieving again. And then always amongst that is truly like this acceptance piece too. And so all of those parts kind of like moving around and um, in this fluid kind of way that we can't just say, okay, now I'm here and I don't feel Mm -hmm. that. And that kind of comes back to that parts work, right? Of like, yes, a part of me accepts this. A part of me is angry. A part of me is sad. A part of me is longing. And they're all here within me. Mm. And amongst all of that, I have a self that is wise and healing and capable of transformation. And yeah, and, and you know, connecting to that part of me too. And I think that's been really illuminated through this process of the self and mm-hmm. that unenmeshment of self with caregiver. Right. Mm. Right. And so the roles that you were playing in that relationship with your dad Mm -hmm. and the other roles that you were playing, I guess, to protect yourself or, you know, so coming back into, well, who am I without that? Mm. Who, 
who do I get to be when that is no longer a factor, when my body can relax, when I can expand into, uh, yeah, what lights me up, all of those things. And so what have you found? I want to know, who is this self? Yeah, beautiful. And also, as you were talking, I had this kind of light bulb moment of, you know, the part of me that was playing a role with my father of fix and fix and mend and, you know, all of those things, that part of me has now turned towards myself. Mm -hmm. And I have this energy that's freed up to then explore myself as well, which feels like really beautiful, right? When you're not expending all this energy of like, I hope they're okay. Are they angry at me? What's happening? Mm -hmm. La, 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 la. Mm -hmm. When that's closed down, we have so much peace and so much ability to then turn and look at ourselves and move through that way. And so that's really, yeah, where I am now is very much the space of, I would say, exploration and curiosity. Um, who am I? And, you know, this secure aspect of myself, which is very much still in its infancy and she's still growing and understanding um, how to be in this world and stand on her own two feet and not even need, you know, I love my partner but I don't need him in the same way that I previously did right. in this. If you leave, I won't survive, mm. which is the narcissistic child's mantra, right? Mm -hmm. Of like abandonment. And so now it's like, actually, I've been through this really trans transformative experience where I thought originally, if this person leaves, I won't survive. Mm -hmm. And you survive that. And there's this strength and resiliency. It's that post-traumatic growth, realistically, mm -hmm. of, okay, I am capable and I do believe in myself. And what do I desire? What do I want? How do I want to live my life if it's not about pleasing people, if it's not about, um, you know, playing this good girl that, you know, my parents want me to be? And there's so much fun in that. Mm. So much, yeah, it, it's exploratory curiosity, I think, is where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's truly beautiful. And that's such an exciting place to be after so much pain, mm. I imagine, for you. It's like, wow, the possibilities in that. Mm. Um, I can't wait to see what <laughs> unfolds from that. Mm. And, you know, as you just continue to really just tend to whatever arises, your story is so, it's so heartening, I think, for me to hear um, because it's, there's so much self-honoring that has to happen to choose, to choose you in mm. a dynamic that is is just chipping away at your spirit at yeah. you know like and it is uh it is big work as we said earlier and so i just i see you in this and it is it is deeply heartening yeah i really appreciate that and I think what you said really is very true, this kind of chipping away at your spirit. And anyone that's been in any kind of toxic or abusive relationship will will really feel that where you're kind of at this point where you don't really know who you are anymore and you don't know what you believe. And there's this really, it feels like such shaky ground to be on. 
And um, yeah, that reclamation is is a journey and it's a journey that I'll continue to walk. And, um, you know, maybe one day my dad will be back in my life and I don't know what that looks like. And I'm just embracing, you know, where I am right now. Um, and it is a really beautiful, joyful place to be in. And I really attribute that to my body and to the work that I have done and to be able to hold myself and also to recognize the beauty and the pleasure, which is something that you talk about a lot, which I just love so much of, but where is the good and what else feels okay? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the work that kind of gets you back and feeling slowly alive a little bit more. (laughs) Well, who am I? If right now I don't know who I am, what am I interested in? Where am I drawn? What would I do if I don't have any constraints on me? And what would I dare dream if I could? And kind Mm. of opening, you know, again, opening these doors to ourselves and saying, maybe I'll try this on. Actually, no, I'm going to put that back. And there is a freedom in that. And, you know, I know that's definitely something that victims and survivors of narcissistic abuse will really relate to when we have to kind of identify who we are again and find Mm -hmm. that identity. And that can be really scary and really uncomfortable, but it can also be really freeing. Mm. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of joy in that space too. Yeah. And I know you've, you've touched on this a number of times just in your own reflections and sharing about your own journey, Ella, but if somebody was listening and they could really relate to your story, and it may not be a father, it might be a different kind of relationship, but if they're feeling like they're in that place of exploring the possibility of actually going no contact or Mm. of, you know, making those first steps and yet they don't necessarily have the trust or the um, relationship to their body. And, and this is new territory, but there's, there's a knowing, right, mm. in them. There's a knowing that something's got to give and change. What would be the first, the first thing that you would really share or how would you support this person? Yeah, that's a really, really important question. And thank you for asking that. I think I want to first acknowledge the potential danger in those situations, because I think that's really important. And I know for me, there was a lot of fear, you know, in those narcissistic relationships, when they feel like they've been slighted, that can kind of trigger these really enormous reactions. And there are all sorts of things that can happen as a result of that. And I think there is that very real piece And with the right support and the right plan and the right navigation, you can move out of that space. So there's a couple of things that I would really recommend. And the first thing is like get support from someone that is a professional in this space. So maybe that's a domestic violence counselor or a psychologist or someone where you can kind of explore these thoughts in the safety of this really um, confidential space and allow yourself to kind of get to a place where you can back yourself because it can be a really scary fight when you when you come to this idea of like maybe I want to leave and it can be really hard to um 
to take that step when someone is as manipulative and calculating as they can be. So you want to get to a point where you feel really sturdy and really okay with that, you know, looping in your friendships, looping in your family members, letting them know what's going on for you. Um, And then if no contact feels like a really good thing and you say, yep, I'm ready for this, you know, sending that message, I'm going no contact. I just want to let you know, I can't do this anymore. Please don't reach out. I'm going to be blocking you on all platforms, um, you know, and leave it at that Mm -hmm. and and really follow through with that and just make sure like, is your safety going to be compromised? What do you need to do? Yeah. I also really recommend there's this lady called Dr. Romani on, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you've probably heard yeah, of her. Of She's her. Yeah. amazing. She has yeah. a YouTube platform, Instagram, a podcast, yeah. and a she, too, a book. Yeah. yeah. She is incredible and she has amazing resources. So mm. really I'll learn that about in the show it. Notes. Yeah, yeah. That would be awesome because I think really for me, what helped me get through that was like the education and learning around what are those manipulation tactics and how do they look like? And um, you know, how does it feel being a victim of someone who's, you know, been um, confronted with that? And that was really healing for me to understand and also to see that there are a community of people who have been there themselves and who understand what you're going through um, and be really gentle with yourself. You know, like it's going to be a really challenging time, but with those right support systems and only you will know, only you will know what those supports are. Um, you will be able to get through it. And there's so much possibility and joy on the other side of that, you know, when you're ready to claim Mm. that and feel that too. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. And so much practical advice and just compassion and emotional uh, support. That's all just so valuable. And yes, I will put Dr. Romani's um, information and some links in the show notes for anybody who would like to follow up on all of her resources. I completely agree. She's Mm. absolutely incredible in this field. And yeah, I guess to close, Ella, I, I know, I mean, you are an incredible feminine embodiment coach in your own right. You are a rehab counselor. You have honors, a degree in psych. You're, you know, you know your stuff. So I would <laughs> love to hear what uh, do you currently have on offer for women who um, yeah, would like to get a bit of Ella in their lives? Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for asking. So at the moment, I have two one-to-one programs. So I have my resource program, which is about resourcing your body and finding the language to come back to your body. Uh, We do lots of nervous system work, understanding what all of those responses are. And that's really for uh, women who feel like, you know, maybe they've gone through trauma in the past or they just feel disconnected or dissociated from their body. Like that's a really gentle, beautiful way to start to come back home and understand what your body is trying to say to you. Uh, So I have that as an option. And then I also have my reclaim program, which is a feminist informed feminine uh, program where we understand the fully expressed woman and we go Mm. through patriarchal conditioning and learning all those things about ourselves. So I have those and um, I'm also working on a group program to be released in September. So more information on that one shortly, but that's kind of what I have. And I also Mm. have my own uh, podcast called the rewelding podcast as well. Yes, you do. Amazing. Yeah. I had the the pleasure of chatting with Ella on her podcast uh, about a month or so back and just, yeah, yeah, I really, really enjoy chatting with you, Ella. It's it's such 
uh, you know, I know we're going to go places and I really, that's what I'm all about on this podcast and mm-hmm. with my work. So you're really a woman of my own heart. And um, I have just so deeply valued our time together today and your willingness to just share where you've been, where you're at, some of the, um, you know, some of the twists and turns along the way and, and, really what you foresee for yourself in the future and how you can support other women. So I'm, yeah, I'm just sending you huge gratitude for your time today. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Kate. It's so beautiful hearing that. And I totally agree. I'm all about just getting into the heart of things. So it's really nice to have a space where we can just kind of put our heart on the table and speak about everything. So I really appreciate being here and talking to you. You have such a compassionate um, embrace and it feels really safe. So Mm. yeah, I love your work too. Amazing. Thank you, my love. Well, go and check Ella out. And uh, yeah, anybody who really feels themselves in Ella's story today, you are held, you are seen, and there is support out there for you. So keep yourself safe. And uh, yeah, I'm just wishing you every blessing as, um, as your future unfolds, Ella. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Sensual Alchemy School podcast. If you found this episode supportive or something landed for you here, please share it with your friends, family, and anyone who you feel might benefit. If you're loving this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to ensure that we can keep bringing you the conversations you need. And if you want to connect, please find me at kateleeper.com or over on Instagram at kate.leaper. I'd love to hear from you.